Hi everyone. If you've been following along throughout the season, you'll know that on Wednesday, I released the final official episode of the season, the kind where I dig into the history behind a Christmas tradition. We went out with a bang by learning about a Christmas story from Scott Schwartz himself, the actor who played the part of Flick in that movie. But we're not done for the season yet. We've got two more episodes, including this one. And in this episode, I get to do something very special, something I've wanted to do since last year. And I really don't have the words to express exactly how lucky I feel that I get to do it for you now. This is an episode dedicated to you and your Christmas memories. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. Promise not to tell anyone. But most of the memories you heard in the 2016 season were from my friends and family and colleagues in the podcasting community. It was my first year doing the show, and I naively thought that my real challenge would be figuring out what to do with all of the Christmas memories that would surely come flooding in. In reality, I had to work hard just to get enough to fill the season. But just in case those memories did come flooding in, I had a plan. I'd release a special bonus episode just like the one you're about to hear now. And that's why I feel so lucky to be doing this episode this year. Sure, many of the memories you've heard so far have also been from my podcasting colleagues. I usually mention their shows, you may have noticed. But it's also true that many of you sent me your own memories. It makes me so happy to know that a growing number of you are part of the family and now want to take part in sharing your Christmas memories. And I've been saving them for this very moment. So, get yourself comfy and cozy and come with me on a trip down memory lane. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. This year, my wife and I celebrated our lucky 13th wedding anniversary, which means that 13 years ago in September, we were sitting on a hilltop in the Garfagnana region of Tuscany on our honeymoon. I knew just enough tourist Italian to get us around, and we'd spend our days exploring places like Luca and Barga and eating some of the best food we'll likely ever eat. Ever since then, I've always wanted to go back to Italy for Christmas, and I have every confidence that we will someday. Until then, I'll have to get my experience secondhand from people like Claudia. Christmas time is an important moment of the year for me. I love the magic and cozy atmosphere of December days. When I was a child, Christmas was completely about gifts and Santa Claus. You have to know that Santa Claus here in Italy, it's called Babbo Natale, Father Christmas in English. We wrote a letter to Santa and on Christmas Eve we received gifts from him in person. Yes, from him in person, can you believe it? A group of parents, together with some volunteers, collected gifts from other parents. On Christmas Eve night, they dressed like Father Christmas and shepherds and went door to door to deliver gifts to incredulous children. They came at my door too. When I grew up, this lovely tradition was lost. And so my mom and I decided to resume it. We put together some parents and some of my schoolmates. We set an headquarter where we collected gifts from parents and where we got ready for the big event. It was our Santa's workshop. Some parents sewed customs, others were in charge to 
collect gifts and arrange deliveries. On Christmas Eve, two adults acted like Father Christmas, and guys and girls acted like elves playing flute. I was an elf too. We also had two fully equipped cards, with which we drove up and down our town and surrounding towns. It was so touching seeing all of those children getting their gifts from Father Christmas. They were so happy they couldn't believe it was Father Christmas in person giving them their gifts. It was a great experience full of excitement. <laughs> well, I hope my English wasn't so bad. I wish you all a Merry Christmas and I hope it will be a slow and cozy one. Merry Christmas. In addition to having the most relaxing voice in the entire world, Claudia is also a stationary designer and a really good one too. You can check her out on Instagram at Lily and Sage Design. She has an Etsy store with the same name. Thank you, Claudia, and Buon Natale. Well, since we're on an international theme, let's learn a little about Christmas in Mexico. I happen to know a little bit about this topic because my sister-in-law is from Mexico. We have a Christmas piñata every year, and she also makes tres leches cake, which I don't think is specific to Christmas, but I love it just the same. But here to teach us more about Christmas in Mexico are Anna and her husband Hector. We love the decorations of the season. The ornaments include Santa Claus, snowmen, reindeers, and snowflakes. In any house or office, you'll find a Christmas tree covered in lights. Additional to this, there are Mexican decorations made of natural fibers and lanterns made of colorful paper. They are beautiful, but normally these are seen in small towns where artisans live, so it's hard to see these ornaments in the cities. December 16th marks a countdown to Christmas Eve with nightly gatherings called posadas. It is a spiritual moment full of celebration and lots of food. Normally, we start with sweet snacks called buñuelos, which are shaped like a cartwheel and are a thin fried floor dough with sugar and cinnamon on top. The main course are regularly tamales, made of corn dough with some stew inside. To deal with the cold weather, we enjoy a hot fruit punch made of apple, guava, sugar cane, cinnamon, and other citrus fruits. Children won't wait for Christmas morning very impatiently. To wake up and find another Christmas tree, the presents that not Santa Claus, but baby Jesus left them if they were good boys and girls during the year. In other cities in Mexico, children also wait for the gifts that the three wise men have for them on the morning on January 6th after having a slice of king's cake and a cup of hot chocolate the night before. Inside this bread, which resembles a crown decorated with jewels using dried fruits and sugar, are some tiny dolls pretending to be baby Jesus hiding from the Roman soldiers. Each person gets to choose where to cut his or her slice, and the ones who find a doll inside it will buy tamales for everyone in that group of family or friends on February the 2nd when we celebrate another Catholic holiday called La Candelaria. Well, now I guess I have to add Mexico to my list of places to experience for Christmas. Thank you so much, Anna and Hector, and Feliz Navidad. Well, why not make it a trifecta on the international memories? In Australia, cricket is the major sport. More than 1.3 million people played cricket there last year, and that's an 8.5% increase from the previous year. Thank you, Wikipedia. 
Given how popular it is there, it's only natural to assume that any boy would love to receive a cricket set for Christmas. But that wasn't true for Jake. Um, when I was young, from about the age of three to uh, 11, my dad worked for a big company in Newcastle. And um, every year we'd get a Christmas ham from them. And at the Christmas party, Santa would arrive in a red fire truck, which is kind of appropriate, I suppose. And he'd give out a random assortment of gifts to all the kids. And there was two of each, and they were set into boys and girls. And um, when I was three, four, I wasn't really into sport very much. I was more of a uh, arty, painty, singy kid, and I got given a cricket set. And I was really not too keen on the cricket set because what was I going to do with that? Um, but for the next, like, eight consecutive years, without fail, I would always get randomly given the cricket set. Doesn't matter if I was the first kid to rock up to Santa or the last kid to Santa. Doesn't matter how I timed it, I was always given this damn cricket set. I got to the point where I would just sit there watching, being like, that one's my cricket set. I can see it through the paper and that's what I'm going to get given without fail every year. Anyway, eventually my dad left the company and a couple of Christmases later, we were all going through the Christmas presents, getting down to those last few under the tree. And I noticed behind it, there was a uh, lovely, shiny, brand new cricket set, which my dad had bought me just to rub it in and continue the nightmare a little longer. Anyway, Merry Christmas. I wonder what poor Jake did with all of those cricket sets. I don't know how it is in Australia, but there are lots of charitable organizations here in the States that will happily accept sporting equipment in good condition and put it in the hands of people who can make good use of it. Before we move on, I have to say it makes me really happy to know that people from all over the world are enjoying the show, and I love hearing from you. Now, one of the most vivid Christmas memories I have growing up was watching my mom make Christmas cookies. She'd make stained glass cookies by crushing up hard candy and letting it melt where the center had been cut out of the dough of the cookie shape. She'd hang the cookies on the tree and the Christmas lights would shine through the stained glass. Last year, when I visited her in Massachusetts, I saw that she still had those same cookie cutters from all those years ago. Making Christmas cookies is such an important tradition for so many families. And even though I'm a Californian now, as a native New Englander, I can tell you that cookies are even more fun to make if it's snowing outside while you bake them. Anne also lives in California, but she knows what I'm talking about. One of my favorite things about the holiday season is the holiday baking. And one of my favorite memories is from probably about a decade ago when I was home in Canada visiting my mom. There was a horrible blizzard and the roads were closed. And so that was our baking day. We spent the entire day baking and the snow came down and it was warm and cozy inside. And partially through the day, we ran out of cream cheese. So we called the local general store and we braved the closed roads and we crawled in our car ever so slowly so we could get the cream cheese for one more cookie. We got home safe, the cookies were delicious, and it's always a favorite memory of mine. Now that's what I call dedication. And now I'm kind of curious what kind of cookies have cream cheese in their recipe. I've never been much of a baker myself and I usually stick with gingerbread cookies. One of the best parts about sharing Christmas memories is getting a glimpse into what makes Christmas unique to each family that celebrates it. In my family, after all of the gifts had been opened and there was a lot of wrapping paper on the floor, I'm one of five kids, we'd crumple up all the paper and use it to have a pretend snowball fight in the living room. Well, 
Jesse, who grew up in Pennsylvania, has a fantastically quirky musical family tradition all her own. In my family, we love Christmas carols to the point where we split into the harmony and melody to sing them. Every year we seek out the new Christmas albums dropping, we share them with each other, and we rate them compared to our favorites, Mariah and Kelly Clarkson's, which we think are the best ever. Um, but we also, of course, have least favorite Christmas songs. For me, it's The Little Drummer Boy. For my mom, it's Christmas Shoes. My sister very specifically dislikes Madonna's version of Santa Baby. So every year we make it our mission to song bomb each other uh, with our least favorite songs. Something like starting a conversation and playing Christmas Shoes while my mom is mid-sentence. Um, we've done it multiple ways, but it's really funny to see who can get the most creative with it. This year, I unfortunately can't make it home to Pennsylvania for Christmas, and my sister can't make it home from Florida, but thankfully, with technology, we can still carry out this tradition. I've already tricked my sister this year with a Snapchat featuring her least favorite song. I got my mom on Skype last week. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, it is never easy being away from home during the holidays, but I hope sharing this memory on your podcast could create a new memory for us this year to hold us over until we can all be back together next year at Christmas. Song bombing sounds awesome. I kind of want to turn this into a thing. I'm not sure how. I know it's a family tradition, but Jesse put it out there, so it belongs to the world now. Maybe it'll become the next ugly sweater. Song bombers, let's think of some ways to cook up some holiday mischief. And I agree that Madonna's Santa Baby is pretty terrible, but I do have to deduct some points for considering Mariah and Kelly to be the best ever. That is... that is just not true. Well, anyway, moving on. I guess I've been lucky because I can't remember ever being sick on Christmas. But Julian Buffalo can. I remember I was about eight years old and I was laying underneath the Christmas tree and I loved to lay there reading Christmas books with the lights and not feeling well. And I went over and showed my dad, who is a doctor, uh, these red bot spots that were forming on my belly. And it turned out I had shingles, which of course is unusual for a young child. But I just remember that Christmas in particular, that morning, Christmas morning sitting next to my grandfather and watching my older sisters play with their toys and my one sister Wendy in particular who was swinging one of those plastic tubes that made songs and notes and stuff and we all just laughed and that one just sticks out in my mind I think just because I was sick and everybody was extra nice to me that year so anyway Christmas is pretty special and I'm trying to create the same kind of feeling at my own house with our own children. I've had the shingles not as a child. It was actually just a few years ago, and I can tell you it is no fun. So for an eight-year-old to have it on Christmas, that must have been a real drag. But it sounds like Julie made the best of it. Now, someone who listens to the show actually is sick this Christmas, I'm sorry to say. Rosemarie in Chicago is battling a cold, and she lost her voice. But she wanted to share one of her cherished Christmas memories. So, with her permission, I'm going to read it for you now. She writes... I come from a large family. Not a lot of money, but a lot of love. My mom would scrounge up money and get each of us a Christmas gift. I typically begged for a tea set or some kind of easy-bake oven. I loved those things. My dad pretended not to take an interest in our shenanigans, but every Christmas morning we had a stocking filled by him. An apple, an orange, cheap hard Christmas candy, and, thank God, some kind of chocolate. I would lose my mind over that stocking. I did wish that he would have wrapped up the chocolates, but no, that never happened. He simply opened a bag and dumped them into the stocking so they could pick up bits of cotton for our enjoyment. I loved each and every bite. I miss those days when we were all together, 
Now we're spread all over the country and our parents are gone, but the memories are still there. Thanks, Rosemary, and Merry Christmas, and I hope you're feeling better by the time the big day rolls around. Stocking stuffers for me were usually things like chocolate, chapstick for those cold New England winters, coloring books, and maybe a few other things I'm forgetting. My mom handmade our stockings, and I still have mine to this very day. Even though the stocking is never the main event on Christmas morning, most of us who received filled stockings have vividly fond memories of them, like Rose Marie and me, and also Andrea in Washington. I am calling to share one of my favorite Christmas memories, and it involves the stockings that my mother put together. She always put a satsuma or a clementine in the toe of each stocking, and that was something that was really special for us. We only got it once a year. The other thing that was in our stockings that I look forward to were nuts. So we would have Brazil nuts, we would have walnuts, we would have pecans, and they were all in their shells, which was very different and not something we normally did. So on Christmas Day, we would empty out our stockings, we would be eating our oranges, and my mother would place out a bowl and her nutcracker, and we would be cracking our nuts and eating those. And it's just such a great memory, I think, back on. Um, I have a baking podcast called Preheated, and we talk a lot about Christmas memories and Christmas baking. So I think it's funny that my favorite Christmas memory doesn't actually involve baking, although it does, of course, involve food, because I think that's something that we often think back on with fond memories, food and smells, and those smells of oranges and nuts always bring back Christmas to me every year. Well, now let's move from stockings on Christmas morning to dinner on Christmas evening. There's nothing quite like that warm afterglow from a festive day and a good meal. No wonder so many of us just want to fall asleep right afterward, like Gabe's father-in-law, Hi, Gabe here. I had a fun Christmas story for you. So this isn't from my childhood. This is from around when my wife and I started dating, um, which was about 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. And we would go over to my wife's aunt's house around Christmas time for their annual uh, family Christmas party. And her aunt had a really big house, you know, it's was, it was in a nice neighborhood. It was like out out in the middle of nowhere. And so it had like a window that overlooked a nice little valley where there were you know, deer and turkey and so on. And so we would go over there. There'd be tons of food. Everybody would be dressed nice. Everybody would be be eating, be having a good time. And after everybody was done eating, my father-in-law, well, my, my now father-in-law, he would always fall asleep on the couch. And, you know, he'd, be fa- he'd fall asleep sitting up and his head would be down and, and everybody would be, you know, off playing board games or something. But one year my wife realized that if you go over to him, while he's asleep at one of these Christmas parties and you poke him in the stomach. You just poke him a few times, he'll start to talk. And so every Christmas, we would we would wait till he got, you know, got his, his fill, wait till he had eaten, wait till he was tired, and wait till he fell asleep. And we'd go over and poke him in the stomach until he said things like, what are you looking for, a helicopter? And then, you know, if we did it too much, he would wake up again, and then we would have to act like we weren't doing anything. But anyway, it was just a fun little thing that we would always do around Christmas time. And uh, I don't know, I thought it was fun. Gabe is from Michigan, and he's the host of the gaming podcast, Interparty Conflict. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Well, how about One for the Road? You may recall from the episode about Holly this season that Emily Prokop, the host of the podcast The Story Behind, shared her favorite Christmas song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. If you haven't heard that episode, check it out now, because she explains the backstory behind the two different versions of the song. 
Well, Keith from Syracuse could have used Emily's help years ago when he found himself confused about the two different versions. So he took it upon himself to find some answers, straight from the source. I was never a really big fan of the song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And that's probably because of the words. That hang a shining star upon the highest bow line just didn't make sense to me. It didn't go with the rest of the words and seemed tacked on from somewhere else. And then one Christmas season, while I was in the car with my mother, I heard the Judy Garland version on the radio, the version that was in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. And I nearly jumped out of my seat when she sang, Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. That was it. Those words made sense with everything else that had come before it. But I always wondered, what was up with the lyrics? And why there was one set in the movie and another set that everyone else seemed to be singing? Finally, I decided to write to Hugh Martin, one of the composers, to find out. I didn't know exactly where to send a letter to him, so I sent it in care of ASCAP. Amazingly, I got a personal reply from him, congratulating me on my ingenuity in sending a letter to him that way and telling me the rest of the story. He said that Frank Sinatra really liked the song and wanted to use it on his upcoming album, A Jolly Christmas, but thought that that particular line was just too melancholy for an album that was supposed to be jolly. So Frank asked if he could come up with a new lyric. He did, and now everyone accepts that as canon. Everyone except me, of course. I like James Taylor's version better, because it uses the words that make sense. Keith, you're a man after my own heart. In the past, I've described this show as being for people whose Christmas spirit includes a healthy dose of curiosity. Sounds like that describes you to a T. Now, Keith may be horrified to learn this, but my favorite version of that song is the one sung as a duet between John Denver and Rolf the Dog from The Muppet Show in the album A Christmas Together, which came out in 1979. And that one includes the Hang a Shining Star version of the lyrics. Well, that'll do it for this very special Christmas Memories episode. I'd like to thank everyone who shared a Christmas memory. I think this may have been my favorite episode of the season to create, and I couldn't have done it without you. And of course, I hope to do it again next year. Okay, just one more episode to go. I'm a little sad, I can't hide it. But I'm happy that we'll be together one final time. I'll come back to wish you a Merry Christmas, do a Christmas 2017 year in review, and a little year-end wrap-up for the show. Until then, let me tell you that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earl. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Christmas Past Podcast, and find more information about the show at christmaspastpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever and however you get your podcasts. I know we're winding down for the season, but it's never too late to subscribe. And if you have a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate that. It helps the show more than you might know. Thank you so much for listening and sharing Christmas memories with me, and I look forward to joining you one final time on Christmas Eve. <laughs>